welcome back to Daleks Aren't Robots. I am Josh. I have no eye patch, and I'm here with my friends. We have Kari. I don't have a beard. You don't have a beard. No, no, that means I'm evil. <gasps> Zach. I might be a Turkish Dracula. I'm not sure. <laughs> Justin, you want to top that? Uh, no. Fair enough. Ah, I should have introduced this as our evil counterparts. Oh, well. I have a beard, so I don't know what you're all talking about. You do have a beard. Yeah, he's not evil. And you don't have a dark bob wig. No. No, I don't. So maybe I'm good. I don't know. Josh is definitely evil. Yep. I don't have an eye patch. Screen-shaven people can't trust them. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so for those of you who are new to the podcast, Zach and I are Whovians, Kari and Justin are not Whovians, and we're going through all of Doctor Who, and today, in case you couldn't tell from all of our context clues, we're talking about Inferno, aka Doctor Who Does the Mirror Universe. Justin, you want to do the sum up? So, basically, the Doctor has been trying to fix his TARDIS using a nuclear reactor as a power source. Yes. The idiots running the nuclear reactors are drilling. Yes. I'm still kind Kind of very hazy about why they're drilling. They want to pierce the Earth's crust. They want to penetrate. Oh God! Can we not say penetrate ten thousand times? Say it a lot. Oh God! They want to penetrate the world for some reason. Because they think that there's a gas down there that will magically power the entire world. Yeah, it was like a clean energy thing, but they're using nuclear power to do it, which is weird. When things start going wrong, the doctor and a bunch of other people tell the guy in charge, hey, turn it off. Things are going wrong. The guy in charge is an idiot and does not because, I don't know, he's built his entire identity on the success of this one project. And it's really actually kind of sad if you think about it. Yeah. He's definitely not compensating for anything. No, no. <laughs> He really needs to penetrate the world. With his massive drill. That'll show you, Dad. Man with that comb over having confidence issues. I mean, the thought. Meanwhile, some slime starts bubbling up from the earth that starts turning people into what looks like... Villains from a Turkish superhero movie, like a Turkish Dracula. They have like gray skin and bad wigs and hairy hands. And it's basically like if they went to like a spirit Halloween store on a budget, make me a monster for 20 bucks. I feel like spirit has better options for 20 bucks. I think maybe your budget is five. Yeah, maybe going into the Goodwill. And this would be a 70s spirit Halloween. The economy was better. Oh, that's hilarious that you called that cheap. They said that was a big budget. Budget makeup effect, and I swear to God, somebody was embezzled. <laughs> yeah, they got ripped off if that was. We expensive. gave you five hundred dollars. Why did you only spend five? There <laughs> was some producer's scheme going on. Yeah, there. basically, that could explain all of Doctor Who's budget problems. It, it could. really could. So while that's happening, the Doctor manages to steal some power and activate the TARDIS console, which sends him into an alternate reality. Yeah, where Unit is Unite. And they work for yeah your standard issue dystopian British government. It's very 1984. Less Dalek-y this time. Yeah, where, let's see, Liz is an officer, not a scientist, and she has an evil black bob. The brigadier has no mustache, but an eye patch and a scar. Yep. You know, basically it's your standard mirror universe. Everybody is pretty fashy and evil. And they're doing the exact same thing with the drilling and the penetrating and everything with the Turkish Dracula's popping up. Everything is going the same way. Except they're like a couple hours or a day ahead. They're ahead. Because fascism is better. Or at least more efficient. That's not true in real 
real life, but okay. The doctor also might have been missing for a few hours, so. True. He does have a time machine. It's possible the two universes are not perfectly synced time-wise. True. So anyway, the doctor sees this as a good chance to use this other universe as kind of a trial run for the important universe. Figure out what they could do differently, maybe. That's the way I saw it, anyway. I think the doctor just wants to see what happens if they drill in. I mean, he did try to stop them from drilling. No, to be fair, he did. He didn't even have a shovel. That was a token protest. (laughs) And through this, they keep kind of going back and forth between the universes where, you know, things are getting worse and worse in our universe. Yeah. And in the mirror universe, things are advanced and they're getting worse and worse. The doctor then says, okay, well, if you help me get back, I can stop this in the other universe. You're all dead and I can't take you with me. Right, because at that point, they have pierced the Earth's crust and it is inevitable. And the Turkish Draculas have gone through another transformation. They have just become straight up werewolves. Turkish werewolves. Basically, he manages to convince Liz and another woman who's Petra? Petra. Yeah, who was a scientist who was introduced. He was like the aide of the main idiot. Stallman. And the alternate version of Sutton, who was another character who was like a energy expert from Kuwait. They flew him in as a consultant too. And again, proceeded not to listen to anything he said. But Stallman, who was the guy who was in charge of the project, is not compensating at all. So basically that world goes up in flames. The Brigadier does try to shoot the Doctor a lot. Yes. The evil Brigadier. Brigade Commander. Briggy. But the Doctor does get away just in time. Alternate Liz shoots alternate Briggy. Oh yeah, she does, doesn't she? And then they all get covered in magma. Yep. Yeah, but the doctor makes it back to our world. Yeah, he or... gets back to our world and they're able to basically stop Snallman, who is already at this point, become the leader of the Turkish werewolves. And then at the end, the doctor tries to use the TARDIS console again to escape, but he ends up in the garbage dump. Yeah, ends up in the garbage. Yep. Because what is dignity? <laughs> yes. And then he has to actually apologize for insulting Briggy. Yeah, he was getting ready to teleport. He's like, later, suckers. And then he... This... Insults the brigadier and then he leaves and then he reappears in the garbage. He's like, okay, sorry, I said some things. Brigadier, my old friend. Yeah. <laughs> We've been working together for so long. <laughs> yeah. I missed some action where the doctor and Sutton and Petra are using fire extinguishers and coolant to repel the werewolves because the werewolves are very hot. They're heat-based or whatever yep. for some reason. They don't like cold. They don't like cold, so they're using that to repel them so they, they can fix everything. But they do the thing in the end. Yep. Sudden so use a massive coolant yep. hose that isn't suggestive at all. Oh, no, no, no. He lets that white stuff flow out of that, <laughs> out of that hose. You guys, we're going to be like... <laughs> Every time we post this up, I always hit the there's explicit material in this podcast yeah. button. So oh, I know, but I don't want anybody to have to take a shower after this. Blech. Yeah, this might be our most explicit episode. <laughs> It's not my fault, it's right there. At least until we review the Doctor Who hardcore porn. Oh, we're not doing that. No. We're not doing that. No. So let's move on to our characters. Why don't we start with Liz, as this will be our final chance to do so. Yeah, I like her in this one. She's great. But the real Liz, like the good world Liz, spends pretty much all of her time running spurious errands for the Doctor that are intended to get her out of the way so that he can commit various skullduggeries. Yes. But she's great. You know, Carol and John gets to play evil Liz in this one. With her short, dark haircut, she's a part of the fascist military, but she's still kind of scientific-minded. She apparently studied physics when she was in college, and she 
is kind of the evil Spock of this episode and that she's the one that comes to believe what the doctor says and she is the one that helps him get back to the other world to save it even though she knows that she and all of her world are doomed yeah but she did really well I thought Liz seems to be the one that kind of fills the role of companion the most in these episodes oh yeah definitely for sure she's the one that the doctor actually respects and a rare version of the companion that is very equal in a way to the doctor yeah she's very competent i wouldn't say that she's equal but she's like a trusted exec yeah she's definitely the first officer i mean i guess it's like the difference between uh real watson and stupid watson as far as companions go yeah yeah Yeah. real watson is actually a very competent person well stupid watson is used in bad stories you know to prove how smart sherlock is yeah. I will say as we continue, there are, I'd say, three basic categories that the companions usually fall into. There's the ones who are really good at handling the action stuff. There are ones who can kind of keep up with the doctor on the brain stuff. And there's the ones who get captured a lot. Yeah, I just, I like Liz a lot. I'm sorry to see her go. I really am. One thing I do like about Evil Liz or Evil Liz. No. That doesn't really work. Shaw. Evil Liz is that even as she like comes to believe in the doctor, she's still looking for an angle. Yeah. Like during the prison scene, the doctor seems like, ah, I'm getting through to her. And then she says something like, now, if you can just confess to this stuff, we can get you into a prison sentence. Everything will be fun. Like she's still trying to find right. a way to finish so that she stays on top. Right. Yeah. Evil Liz was cool. And of course, Carolyn John does a really good job in the part. Yeah. Yeah. So what happened with her? I know she was unsatisfied with the science aspect of it. Was there anything else? First, I'm going to mention that even if all this hadn't happened, she wouldn't have returned for the next season because she was pregnant at the time. Okay. She was planning to be off for the next season, but very less the producer took her aside when she was being fit for a microphone and let her know that she wasn't going to be renewed for the next season. Wow. Surprise! Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's at least advanced warning, but usually you wait till between seasons Uh or when they're not shooting to do that. I guess since we're on Barry Letts, we'll start with him and his reasons. First, we mentioned that there were two producers who left the show and they're the ones who came up with the idea of Liz, of having a companion that was a scientist and could kind of work with the doctor, not just have stuff explained to her. So Barry Letts, he felt that Liz was too intelligent, too independent, too mature, that she came across as threatening. Oh, God. Oh, my God. I think I've made this comparison before, but in my mind, Barry Letts is the Rick Berman of Doctor Who, in that he is very sexist and God. Very much driven to just do what the studio wants. You'll see the result of that when we see the next companion in this. There is nothing on earth more fragile than masculinity. At least these guys' masculinity. Yeah. Wow. The only thing I can say to Barry Letts' credit there is, sadly, he was not the only one who felt that way on set. Uh, Yeah. So, Pertwee also wanted a companion that he was taller than and who he 
could be paternalistic towards. Okay. To be totally fair, that has been a pattern yeah. with yeah. previous doctors, and that can work. And this is a excerpt from a quote from Carolyn John. I had never established the best kind of rapport with John Pertwee, who I think basically saw the show in a very traditional light and didn't want a companion who in any way matched up to him in terms of intelligence. I just want to say maybe they don't have a rapport off screen, but on camera, they've got great chemistry together. Yeah. Yeah. They absolutely do. There's a definite vibe there too. Yeah. Of course, a lot of famous actors who were famous for having a vibe also hated each other off screen. It does happen. Also, while she did continue acting, no one on set when she was like, go let her know that the reason was because they wanted to go in another direction. So she felt that it was because everyone thought that she was a terrible actress until Barry Letts, like years later, did hire her for a role and cleared the air. But for the longest time, she felt that the Doctor Who crew just felt that she wasn't good, felt that she wasn't a good actress. God, that's sad. Yeah, that's sad. Yeah. That's really sucky. It's a real shame how often in the show, like we see the actresses get this sort of treatment. It's sort of typical, though, and it still goes on today. More recently, yeah. uh, Criminal Minds comes to mind. You know, they had a, a cast and people would switch in and out of the cast occasionally, but it was usually when their actor wanted to leave. Well, there were a couple times when actresses didn't want to leave and they tried to can them anyway and replace them with, you know, a different pretty girl, mm. essentially. And actually, the audience didn't like that and they ended up bringing those actresses back that's good but no women characters are not interchangeable thank you in regards to Liz Shaw the final note I do want to end on is while off screen maybe Carolyn John was not getting respect and the character of Liz Shaw was certainly not getting respect from the higher ups on screen I will remember her as the only person in unit that the doctor seemed to actually respect yeah definitely yeah he talked down to everybody else and that does kind of continue on yeah that might be hard to take well we'll see how it goes with joe grant joe grant is a very popular companion we'll have to see yeah gosh do we know what little girls of the time thought no like the bbc didn't ask them (laughs) and the fans certainly didn't ask them yeah i'm just thinking like as a little girl seeing that as a character would have made me very happy yeah because there aren't a lot of women nerds i actually have found a lot of good um retrospectives that'll be in the show notes of people thinking back fondly on liz shaw and a lot of them are uh women yeah one of my big introductions to classic who before i hunted down a lot of the episodes was um diamanda hagen did a retrospective on all of Doctor Who and she listed Liz Shaw as one of her favorite companions. So she definitely has a lot of respect and especially among older female fans in uh, yeah. Doctor Who. Because that would have been all that they had. Yeah. I mean, I also think she's one of my top companions. Yeah, I like her a lot. She is not my favorite female nerd in Doctor Who, but we'll get to her. It's Ace. I'm going to spoil it now. I love Ace. <laughs> Ace of the explosives. We Ace know. of the explosives, yes. She's so good. Anyway, we are so far off from that. Liz is wonderful and we'll all miss her. Yes. 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 And it's a shame that she doesn't get a goodbye scene. She does in a book and in audio, but... Never in the show proper. Yeah. If I recall correctly, Davies did an episode of Sarah Jane Adventures where like, he brought a bunch of old companions back to interact with Sarah Jane. And I think Liz Shaw was one of the ones who did not show up. And that may have been because she was... She died in the late 2000s from cancer. So she may not have been... She might have not. 
healthy enough to show up. Okay, fair enough. Davies, you're off the hook for that then. But for nothing else. <laughs> yeah, but for that. Yeah. So let's talk about the doctor. Okay. Yeah. He's great in this one too. Yeah. He's super arrogant and he's rude to Stallman who totally deserves it, mind you, but it ends up biting him in the ass when Stallman reacts by pulling his power. That's the one thing I, I have noticed about this doctor is that, yeah, he's an ass a lot of the time and he's arrogant, but he, he pays for it a lot. Yes, yeah. he yeah. does. And he never seems to learn. And I kind of love yeah, it. Yeah, I do like that. And that happens, like you guys said, at the end with Brigitte too, where he's rude yeah. to him and then it like ends up mattering yeah, this whole episode he's just trying to get away yep yeah there's some other things with him too um he gets to make some great faces again uh-huh. particularly when he has this bad kind of a splinching like experience when he tries to use the tardis but it kind of like gets caught somewhere yeah yeah and he just ends up making faces for the longest time with the camera it's pretty great it is he also says and this never did come back he said that he heard that weird sound that the creatures make early on at the eruption of krakatoa so Every time we have one of these episodes, a lot gets cut from the script and all those lines fully explaining that he had been at multiple eruptions and he had heard this screech, like it's the sound of the planet screaming, was all cut from the final episode. Uh, Oh my god, that's horrifying. Like the werewolves are the antibodies of the earth or something. Well, I'm kind of glad they cut that. That's horrifying. Yeah. There's a lot of environmentalism in this story. Mm -hmm. Which is pretty funny because they never quite in the nuclear reactor part. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I don't know if we want to get into why the planet would have been screaming or not, because that's the inspiration. Well, yeah, we might as well talk about it if we're going to talk about it. So uh, the writer was partially inspired by an Arthur Conan Doyle story, When the World Screamed, which is one of his Challenger short stories. Oh, sure. Challenger. Challenger has a lot in common with Stallman. Right. And it's him drilling into the Earth and the earth has like a living shell and then it erupts liquid everywhere and then it heals itself in that story but yeah you can see where a lot of the inspiration for the story came from there i see i have linked a uh, copy of that in the show notes as well so you can read that story if you want neat if we're going back to the doctor though we need to talk about the um introduction of another institution of the show venusian aikido or as it's called here <laughs> venusian karate i love it like he's using pressure points yeah. or something i love yeah. it so much and it's another way to deal with an assailant that isn't like overtly violent i guess yeah, he just pokes them in the chest and they yeah he just pokes them awkwardly in the chest and then they have to freeze the like it's freeze tag they have to yeah. like stay exactly the position that they're in <laughs> yeah we aren't even counting the guy who he didn't even touch who just swung a rifle and threw himself off a railing well i mean he was also like all bestial and yeah i didn't think that was venusian aikido i think that was just i think that was just dodging god no that was pretty great so where did this idea come from did they get complaints about the violence again or no barry let's did want this to be more of an action doctor and it was a stunt guy who said that aikido was a better name than karate it makes more sense for the doctor yeah it's the non-aggressive well it's not that it's non-aggressive it's more about using the force that's being used against you right against 
Right, yeah. which is totally yeah. doctory. Which is very doctory. Yes. Yeah. But why did they decide to do that? Could he not throw punches? Is that it? Is Pertwee well, bad at punching? I don't actually know that specifically, but they were trying to also do more of a James Bond thing. So yeah, I definitely picked up oh, on that. Sure. It sounds cooler if you're using a martial art than if you're just yeah. punching people. True. If I had to take a guess, I would guess that they're also maybe trying to jump off of probably then pretty recent TV shows like The Green Hornet or Kung Fu, where they had these uh, martial artsy yeah, type exotic fighting styles. Yeah. Yeah. Also, a lot of the major fight scenes, especially the one in the room when he's in the full suit, that's not perfectly for any of them. Well, no. All right. Before we move on to other characters, there is one other thing about the doctor I do want to note real quick, which is that the doctor does not have an evil counterpart. Nope. No, he doesn't. There is a behind the scenes justification for this and there is a crazy fan theory justification for this so uh zach you want to take the writer's actual reasoning and i'll handle crazy fan theory yeah the uh writer and this will have been more clear in the original script that the doctor was an outsider even in the parallel earth but he's also in the real earth he's a complete outsider so and it would also cause him to think about that he can't actually affect anything he has a good quote at the end to the doctor initially that got cut sadly right the quote from the doctor would have been the only thing that doesn't equate the only real paradox is myself i was intruded there just as i am here right because he's not from around here no which is an interesting theory although you know he is half human so yeah so that would have turned it into both text and also more of a character moment for the doctor of feeling like a constant outsider, which is kind of nice. Which he is. The fans had a different take on what that was, in particular from a cut scene that would have featured a sort of like voice of the government type thing like they had during World War II in Germany, sort of a Goebbels well, bit. No, World War II in England, Lord Ha Ha. Oh, Lord Ha Ha again, okay. Lord Ha Ha. But in this case, it's John Pertwee doing Lord Ha Ha. And that's why it was cut, because Barry Letts felt that it was too obviously Pertwee, but it did go out in the international versions. Fashy the Doctor. But people have taken that as a theory, even though we see who is supposed to be the grand leader on a poster. Yeah. Many people have come to believe that maybe the doctor was secretly running the fascist British government behind the scenes in this parallel universe. I think it's much more likely that the doctor showed up at, right after he regenerated and Unite just killed him. They just shot him dead while he was regeneration loopy. I don't know. They're not any more shooty than regular unit. Yeah, but the brigadier wouldn't have known the doctor yeah. in this universe to come and save him. Yeah, but they had him in the hospital bed. I don't know. I don't think they would have just let him bleed out. They would have mm. wanted to know why the heck he was there for one thing. Yeah. Mm. Maybe. Also, I don't like the idea of the doctor working for literal Nazis. They only implied it, but that was what Don Hewden wanted. This was a world where the Nazis won World War Two. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. I had assumed it was a world where, like, the Nazis were a homegrown British movement, but yeah. that also works. Do we want to briefly mention the leader since you brought him up? Yeah, who was the picture of? I didn't recognize him. And we lingered on that photo like it should be, like, significant. It looked like Big Brother. 
So that was Jack Kine, who was the co-founder and joint head of the visual effects department at the BBC. That's a backhanded compliment if I've ever heard one. It's an in-joke to the BBC. First of all, that picture was taken specifically for the serial because he had a hard time putting on a grim expression, so they had to take it specially. <laughs> and like he was, at the time considered a legend in the BBC for, you know, creating the visual effects department. So yeah, that's why they included it. A lot of productions tend to do that with people on the prop team or the visual effects thing. Like if you ever look at wanted posters in a cop show, they're almost always people from the prop department. But I also like to view this as the BBC is the big brother of this universe. They did it. <laughs> they finally took over and ruined Doctor Who. But, but it, was, it wasn't it was like a dig. It was like, yeah. okay, all right. Because yeah. I was thinking what it reminded me of was when Walt Disney used to walk through the studios or whatever, they would warn each other that he was coming by saying, man is in the forest. Did anybody <laughs> else see Bambi? Yeah. 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 Like, I don't know of a more cruel indictment of a boss yeah. than that. No, what Jack Kine had, they referred to visual effects as Jack Kinery. His name became equated with visual effects there. So they really liked him. I yeah. gotcha. It's yeah. more the most popular teacher in the school is yeah. the one to get a pie in the face. Fair enough. We should talk about Briggy then. Yeah, uh, both Briggies. Briggy, Briggy, Briggy. He really shines in this episode. Like in the regular universe, he's his stuffy kind of mostly harmless seeming self with his bristly mustache and stuffed shirtedness and he shows the doctor a picture of himself without a mustache when he was younger and that comes back beautifully later because his evil self is mustacheless yep he's super villainous but the nice thing is like he's still brave and stalwart and he does not flinch when he has to defend the others against the turkish werewolves he is super fashy and shouty and mean though and he also looks exactly like Arnold Rimmer he does yeah I don't know why but he does no it's the nose it's the nose yes I do want to say though evil Briggy is stalwart and courageous so long as he thinks there's a way out for him right the moment that it seems things are going to go badly for him he turns on everybody yeah right Nicholas Courtney based the performance on footage of Mussolini <laughs> Oh, that explains a lot, actually. That explains a lot. And yeah, I kind of played it with the idea that people who are that big of a braggart and big in their personality are often cowards underneath. Yeah. Yep. Also, um, the Brigadier's mustache is not real, even in that. Yeah. Age. So when he was hired for the role, they wanted him to have a mustache, but his mustache grows droopy. <laughs> Production felt that he looked too young without the mustache. He does. He does look a lot younger. <laughs> oh no! Oh, I did not realize that was a fake mustache. I just want to say I am today years old. When I learned that that was a fake mustache, I feel like someone's just pulled the beard off of Santa Claus. <laughs> oh, oh, that's funny. I did not know that either. Wow, it must have been a relief to get that stupid thing off his face then, only to put a freaking eye patch on. Mm. Oh, no. That's the hilarious. eye patch is probably easier. You don't have to glue the yeah, eye patch on. Yeah, but they put on. scar stuff on it too. Like That's true. I don't know anything about the scar, but that was probably a good hour in the makeup chair. It looked nice. It did yeah. look good. Yeah. Way better than the werewolves. <laughs> Benton is a character finally in this one. Yeah, both Bentons. 
yeah he's kind of just a unit mook though like he's not yeah. really much of a character but he has a name now mm-hmm. and he does some stuff and his evil counterpart is brutally turned into a turkish werewolf like instantaneously <laughs> yeah they actually did experiment within the interrogation sequence but we wanted benton to punch him in the face i wondered about that they're trying to show that he's being tortured but they don't actually do anything yeah. to him, but shine a light on him yeah they mostly just yell at him i mean that would get to you after a while but it would take longer yeah he also does look though like he's been physically worked over he does he does but it's implied it's not yeah really ever shown it was more in the way he was performing than anything right. else bessie exists in the alternate universe which is interesting yeah. it's the same bessie well it's the one that he took yeah yeah, yeah. bessie came with him it came he, he had it hooked him? up to the console if you look at the scene where he transfers bessie the console and the doctor all disappear yeah. I did not realize that. It was his Bessie. Okay, that makes more sense because I did not notice yeah. any difference and I kept looking at it thinking, is it any different? I don't get it. Don't worry, there is no Nazi Bessie. Oh, thank God. Okay. Bessie is a good girl. She would never, she would never. She would never. And the TARDIS console is still dismembered and unfed, but she still tries and at least she's in a garage now and not that hideous horrible room of grandma's awfulest knickknacks laboratory laboratory yeah no that's an old granny's like horrible living room (laughs) a coven of very tacky witches live there yeah also it's kind of a sad but nice touch that the joke here is that he landed it in a rubbish tip and this is the last time that we will see that version of the console yeah the og back to the first episode are they going to like explain that like oh i had to rebuild the console since it was took damage in the last crash i or whatever. don't reserve but we'll know next time we'll see okay i will say throughout the show the tardis interior will sometimes just change yeah and no mention will be made of it yeah proof that she's alive and she just likes putting on a new dress every now and then yeah, yeah. exactly you know you don't want to look the same every day fair enough one thing though i do want to bring up if we can regarding the brigadier and his eye patch this is a story i had actually heard before it's, it's one of the big ones of how the cast decided to honor the eye patch in a way for his big reveal oh so when he spins around in his chair everyone in the casting crew was wearing an eye patch <laughs> And he didn't break. Nicholas Courtney did not break, but the rest of the casting crew did, so they had to do a retake. (laughs) That's pretty good. So he's a really good actor. He is. He's great at stoic, certainly. He can... steel face like the best of them the other thing that i like is from what i've been told john pertwee was the one who orchestrated that prank yeah good choice that's hilarious (laughs) (laughs) sorry that is really funny that's pretty good how much of the budget of the show did they spend on eye patches I, I imagine it. just like if you go into a BBC warehouse, there's a bunch of um, <laughs> old eye patches, eye patches from yeah. the 70s. <laughs> they did like a production of Peter Pan or something, and they've just got a bunch of them lying around. All right. So I guess we're moving on to side characters. Once again, we've got quite a few. Yeah, there are a few. How about we start with the most obnoxious? Stallman. 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 He's so obvious as a villain. Yeah. Like before he even says anything, you're like, yep, that is the beard of a bad guy he is just hell-bent on getting that drill through the crust and they don't really ever explain why he's even worse 
in the evil world. He looks like freaking Dr. Evil. Yeah. Like literally he's wearing the Dr. Evil coat. Yep. And he's wearing sunglasses inside. Yeah, he is. And he snaps them. He does the snapping of the glasses. Oh, which is just yeah. weird. Both versions turn into Turkish werewolves and die at the end. So that's yeah. good. But And no one mourns him. No. Also, would you say he or Talcalian had a worse fake beard? Oh, that's hard. It's probably the same damn beard. <laughs> I'm actually going to give it to Tatalian because I'm pretty sure Tatalian's beard did not even match his hair. Like it literally looked like, you know, a party city beard. It's the same beard, probably. <laughs> <laughs> It just matches the actor's hair better. Yeah, it's just a coincidence. One thing I do want to point out that I find really funny is thanks to Star Trek, everyone having beards is now our sign that we're in an evil world. And yet going to the evil world, everyone loses their facial hair. Yep, everyone gets less hair. Even Liz gets less hair. Yes, she does. So that was actually two different wigs. And the one for the studio filming was actually really expensive. Liz's? Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. It does look better in the studio filmed parts, I think. Well, that's because they just grabbed like a wig from the BBC storage for the location. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because it does look really fake when they're outdoors. I did notice that. Interesting. I think Stallman's thing, though, is just like ego. Oh, and he hates women. He's always comparing people to terrified old women whenever they want to slow down or be cautious or pay attention to safety requirements. And it's always old women. He says it like five times. Yeah. But as much as Petra seems to follow him is... He obviously has issues with women. With Petra, all I can think of is that clip from Community where Annie is the assistant director to the dean as they're making the ad. And at one point she goes one of two things has happened either i have devoted all of my time to a crazy idiot or he's secretly a genius <laughs> so i have to assume he's a genius yeah petra that brings us to petra the assistant director of the drilling project which is a pretty good title yep. um she's a pretty blonde girl who's very competent she's super professional yeah she's very loyal to stallman but it never comes off like she's in love with him or anything like that it's just like a proper business relationship she's just very loyal when Sutton who we will get to in a little bit here hits on her she enforces her boundaries like unequivocally yeah she is very clear in both universes yes after that he starts treating her with respect Mm -hmm. and she kind of gets into him yeah they do end up together in the good world and the evil verse Sutton also hits on her evil counterpart and she also enforces her boundaries and they also end up together kind of right before they die yeah it's implied that they would have ended up together except lava right either way I just appreciated that she enforced her boundaries and they were respected after that yeah yeah otherwise not much to say about her no no not a lot she does get super upset at the end but considering evil briggy is like waving a gun at her and telling her to hurry up constantly i can see why she'd be a little upset even then she snaps back at him at one point yeah she She does does. and she does the thing it takes guts to snap back at someone when they're waving a gun in your face yeah it was a very good solid supporting female character role especially when he's crushing her like an idiot when she's trying to do like 
way complicated rewiring yeah yeah just shut up and let her work dude let's be real we've all had managers like that yeah yeah well it happens and people get upset too i understand that and then there's sutton the guy that petra ends up with he is an oil guy from kuwait he's not from kuwait but he's been working yeah that's where he was yeah and he wears this horrible ascot (laughs) in the real world and it's the most brown 70s horrible looking thing and he hits on petra when he meets her and like she slaps him down politely but very unequivocally at this point i thought that he was just going to turn out to be a pig yeah and that the story would be fine with that and they'd end up together despite him being a pig because that seems to be what happens a lot in a lot of stories from this era but he isn't no he helps her out at one point and then he says oh but there's something you can do for me and then I'm like, oh, no. Yeah, he asked for two favors. Oh, no. There's like one call, you know, call me by, call my, me by my first name. name. Yeah. yeah. Which, okay. That's fair. And then the second one, though, is to help him convince Stallman about safer drilling procedures. Yeah. Yeah, he like just asked her for an actual favor. Yeah, like an actual yeah. favor that would benefit everybody and is totally yeah. professional. And his evil version, quote unquote, was also actually good and helps the doctor escape to save the other world. So he turned out to be actually fine. Yeah, he was okay. Yeah, he just needs to not like inappropriately flirt with women. But at least he listened when she said no. Yeah. Yeah. I think part of the reason that we all looked at him after that first scene and we're like, oh, he's going to be a dick is partially because he shows up dressed exactly as you would imagine a white British guy going to Kuwait would dress. (laughs) Yeah. He looks like such an asshole. He does. But he turned out to be kind of cool. Yeah. He's wearing culottes, man. Like, how are we supposed to know he wasn't going to be a dick? (laughs) And the ascot. Oh, oh. I'm also just going to mention we've seen the actor before. Oh. Way back in the first serial, he was Zah, the caveman leader who doesn't die. The one, the who, one makes who makes fire. fire. Yes. Oh! Wow. Wow. <laughs> he looks different without hair. And in color. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. I would not have known that. I like that. There's some other like side characters like Sir Keith, the bureaucrat who's like barely in the show. He tries to yeah. rein Stallman in, but he isn't successful. And his evil world version is dead so it's like okay and implied that stallman had him killed yeah yep which the real stallman damn near did in the good world we forgot to mention stallman's most evil trait of all which is that he has inconsistent young bloods disease depending on where they shoot him he does or does not have eyes yeah it is weird yeah, in real life, he suffers from. Like, he's got his eyes squinched together all the time. Why? Yeah. Was it super bright? I didn't notice him overlighted. I think he had a slightly more rigid brow than usual, and he was getting shot from above a fair bit of the time. And so I think the shadow just covered his eyes and made it look like he was squinting. Oh, okay. Uh, when he started to get more expressive and his eyes widened towards the end, he started to have yeah. eyes more. Yeah, his disposition was probably better as a Turkish werewolf. <laughs> anyway, the Turkish werewolves, they're not really characters. No. They are hilarious, though. <laughs> they have these greenish-blue faces and just, like, loads of hair, but it's not even realistic-looking hair. It's, like, no, it very not. obvious 
fake fur hair. It's so funny. And they're so bestial. They're not really characters. They're just like hazards that exist in the world. Yeah. Like one of them has a gun at one point, but he doesn't shoot with it because he's turned into basically an animal. So he takes the gun and tries to use it as a club. Yeah. Yeah. Also funny. And it's not really explained what the hell is going on with them. And it's just also assumed that they can't be fixed or cured. So spray him with coolant and kill him. Yeah. Also, there's one absolutely hilarious bit where evil Turkish werewolf Stallman comes over the thing and is like, can you open the shield, please? I'd like to come out now. And they do. And the werewolves (laughs) just leap out at them. (laughs) It was like land shark from the SNL pit. And he's the only one that ever talks. Yeah. Yeah, none of these other people have any of their original intelligence or personality left. Why does he? Maybe the Earth did it somehow? I don't know. There's a few bits where, like, I feel like there's a reel missing or something that explains stuff. There's a lot of scenes and dialogue cut that would have filled in more. Yeah. Is there a reason? The reason that he would have still been speaking is he wasn't quite as trans formed at that point. Oh, bullshit. As soon as he goes <laughs> in, the in there, he smears the green slime on his face and then screams. Like, he's done after that. One thing I do need to bring up if we're talking about <gasps> the Turkish werewolves, one of the things I think we do need to bring up is that from what you've told me and from what I've heard, the Turkish werewolves were kind of filler. That would make more sense because it is baffling yeah. that green goo turns them into that. Like, you would think they'd be lava monsters or you know yeah something hot they're hot yeah they're hot but they're men with hair you know what doesn't go with heat very well josh hair you know how often women burn themselves on their curling irons even now my mom has burnt scars on Mm. her head from curling irons so hair and fire are a bad combination yes when don hewton was hired to do inferno and write it he was told to avoid using monsters well i'm sure he listened really avidly he did actually and it was only four episodes and then um the director and barry led said well we need something to to add more of a threat to the drilling. So toss in this goo and these monsters. They got the idea from Quartermass. Again. Okay, so they needed monsters, but like, why that? Did they just have a bunch of werewolf stuff already? No, no, that actually, no, they didn't. And they ordered too many. So their makeup department budget went way over by like 150 i mean at least if they had made them red the fire thing would have been like more yeah but red will cost money brown is like what werewolves are colored they're not brown they're green the hair is brownish they're greenish brownish. Brown. they're greenish blue even in some scenes they're well, blue. the faces the, the hair if you look at the hair the hair is brown the hair is brown but the skin is green that's what i'm talking yeah. about like if they'd made it red that would have tied back in with the infer you know the title of the cereal blue was green yeah they should have made the goo also red they couldn't do that because they literally just used a cleaning liquid that came in green (laughs) okay water food dye problem solved (gasps) also i'm now very concerned about all of those guys who had to get a face full of that if that was liquid they're probably fine (laughs) probably died of cancer at 55 is what happened oh oh, doctor who always trying to kill your actors god yeah but no why the werewolf get up i do have an answer but okay 
the director, Canfield, he wants it to be very horror movie style. I mean, that's fair too, but there are other horror movies. Yes. Yeah. I mean, even if you just like add burns or something, like they were burning up from the inside. Yeah. As it is, it does not quite work. No. no. They kind of suggest at one point that they're regressing. I thought originally that they were going to make them into cavemen. Yeah, that's what I thought too. Then they evolved into like werewolves and it was like, that's not what cavemen look like at you all. You don't remember when humanity went through the werewolf period? <laughs> it was It was totally a thing. Do we have much to talk about saying that we didn't touch on? The only new element was the Nazi-verse. Yeah, and we already talked about that. It's still pretty much the 70s. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's the 2000s. No. Uh. (laughs) Hey, at least this one confirmed the multiverse, okay? Oh, Justin, you weren't here. In our podcast for Ambassadors of Death, we pointed out that apparently this is all supposed to be taking place in the 2000s. Really? Yes. Like 20 to 30 years. Because we have gone to Mars seven times. Oh, like we did in the 2000s. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. you remember that. Yeah, I do. Okay. It makes more sense, though, to imagine it's the 70s. It really does. But the outfits are so timeless. (laughs) Yeah, all those brown ascots from the 2000s. Well, is that taken into account later on in the series? No. (laughs) No, in fact, later on in the series, it's treated as though it was the 70s. Okay. Whatever. You can't keep canon on this show. We've already seen enough canon destroying things (laughs) that... It's a show literally about time travel. Yeah. And the doctor is half human, and I will take that to my grave. All right. So what production notes do we want to hit? I had questions. Okay. Like I see a lot of third in eight from the TV movie doctor, like from the outfit, the actiony stuff, the vibe with the companion. And also like that companion is also a very competent doctor. Yeah. Like third must've been one of the larger doctor influences. I feel like in eight, right? Yeah. I believe that is true. Yeah. Right. I will say for most of the show going forward, three and four, I think, are usually the influential doctors on future incarnations. I wouldn't say that they are the only ones, but they seem to be the big hitting points that everyone comes back to at some point. So there's some other stuff that comes forward in other doctors. Eccleston, not so much, though. Eccleston is unique in that, like, when he came on, he was not, he did not know the show, and he was determined to play the character as far from the stereotype of the doctor as he could. Mission accomplished. Without really knowing what the stereotype was. Davies also, as a producer, wanted to make the doctor seem more grounded and middle class y because he was afraid that people would reject an upper class foppish hero in the mid-2000s. I'm not sure that really works aside from he has a leather jacket now. No, I don't know. Weird class stuff with that guy. Yeah, one of the other comments I had about this was that, like, I always say that the science is garbage on these shows, but it's hilariously garbage on this one, and mostly that's fine. The magic slime, okay, the werewolves, fine. Green werewolves, fine. But, like, people at a nuclear facility who find an object that's hot and don't immediately reach for a Geiger counter. <laughs> really? And they aren't even wearing badges. Yeah. They don't check anything for radioactivity. <laughs> Not even. Even when what? the doctor says, oh, the atoms must be moving differently. Like, that. that's radioactivity. That's not good. <laughs> 
The only thing I can really think of is apparently in the 70s, everyone really thought nuclear power was just so safe. Okay, but uh, like, what? we literally had a Geiger counter in the Daleks with the first doctor. Yes, yes. and we had the radiation badges in um, Silurians. Yes, we did. I mean, no one's saying that it's not safe. I'm just saying, like, if I found a hot thing within a close proximity of a reactor, A, I wouldn't pick it up. And B, I'd get a freaking Geiger counter to check. Well, yeah. Now we know radiation turns you into Turkish werewolves. <laughs> yeah. I love that Stallman in front of everybody just barehanded grabs it and puts it back in. And they keep talking about how hot it is, but it can't be that hot because he freaking picked it up. Have you ever tried to pick up a pan out of the oven? Yeah. No. Yeah. That's not how that works. My nephew is smarter than these guys, and he's three. Production question I had regarding the transition between the two worlds. They have this cool, like, sort of disco ball effect. I was wondering if you knew how they did that. It's a silver drum on a revolving vertical axis, and they filmed it in two different ways. When we go from our Earth to the fascist Earth, it goes from left to right, and when we go back, it goes from right to left. Hmm. Very nice. I felt like it was a simple effect, but it worked really well. Yeah. And maybe it wasn't simple for the time, but visually it's simple and it looks good. Yeah. It's also just extremely rare to see an in-camera transition effect, which I find very interesting. And it's nice that they did the add touch of the directions. Yes. Either of you got more production questions? Yeah. One's more of like a theme kind of question. Like I'm noticing a pattern here with the show in this season. There's a science facility powered by like nukes or whatever. Something goes wrong. Sometimes it's because man should not meddle like this one. Sometimes it's because man sucks like ambassadors of death. And sometimes man has dug too deep, which is like this one in the Silurians. Like, is that going to keep being a thing? Is that the whole show? Not really. No. That was what I think Sherwin and the old producers wanted to go with, but Let's Going Forward is going to more stick with Spearhead from Space. Okay, because it's getting kind of repetitive already, frankly. It'll be repetitive, just repetitive in a different way. Yeah, we're going to find a formula and stick to it like glue. Well, and it would make more sense if they were like, the doctor is explicitly seeking out places with nuclear facilities so that he can power his TARDIS. And you could definitely read that into it with this episode. But like, they don't ever say that in any of the other ones. So no. And in fact, he never brings his TARDIS to the nuclear facilities and the other ones to power it. So no, although they could have just left that off screen. We don't know. True. But no, from here on out, we go back to more invading monsters. Okay. Why are they invading the 70s? (laughs) Do they have a dire shortage of brown? Yes. Is that it? Earth has all the brown. Yeah. Yeah. Earth has all the brown in the universe right now. We better go get it. Yeah. They want that room. They want that room all of your knickknacks are belonging to me (laughs) so the director douglas camfield wasn't really getting along that well with pertwee well that's not been a running theme at all pertwee um had issues especially since pertwee had trouble with heights he was up pretty far and that was like a platform and i think you could see through it couldn't you 
Yeah, he only did that with the help of some people. Like he got up there and he was nauseous. I can't blame him. I don't think um, I could have even gotten up there. So they have a lot of arguments. Petra's actress, Sheila Dunn, who was the director's wife, had to intervene to try and calm things between them. But they kept getting heated to the point where Douglas Canfield had a minor heart attack. Oh my God. And went to the hospital. He was fine now, but... um. Remember when I said that he wanted to film it more horror-like and the lights would be darker for the end of the parallel Earth sequences? Let's disagree, and he's the one who filmed the rest of the uh, studio stuff. I mean, that's probably for the best. You can't make those werewolves scary. Maybe. There's No, no. I just want to point out, this is now the second time where the actor playing the doctor has caused the director to have a heart attack and be rushed off set. Yeah, geez. Hartnell did that during um, the filming of Reign of Terror, too. Yeah, we talked about it. Man, he hasn't killed yet, so the doctor's got (laughs) one up on the actor, I guess. I think Justin went to deal with Kitty stuff. Oh, Kitty. I see a Yeti back there, I think. see Yeti. Oh, he's so cute. Big sleepy Kitty. I wish I could pet. Won't you grace us with some of your beautiful singing? We can't. Justin muted. Oh, he did? Damn it. Oh, (laughs) he's got such a pretty meow you don't know we do oh yeah that's right you do know you have heard it he's just yeah we've got a beautiful trilling meow oh Oh, there he is sorry my cat decided to start throwing up and it was very loud no how is she oh she's fine just a hairball oh okay but if she's very loud and nobody wants that on the podcast no (laughs) no no also if we want to continue uh kurt Wee's reign of terror on this episode Injuries on set. I'll start with the minor one first. He stepped on a primer, one of the Turkish werewolves, accidentally and fractured the actor's ankle. And then the major one, when he first comes to the fascist earth, he's driving in Bessie. You remember when he runs into two soldiers and they get out of the way? It was a good stunt. One of them didn't leap out of the way quick enough, and um, the car slashed open their leg, causing Purry to be sick, causing the guy to have to go and get 18 stitches. Causing Pertwee to be sick. Yeah, I would imagine. Oh my uh, God. Jesus Christ. He bought the stunt guy and his wife a gift to apologize for, you know, slashing his leg open. I mean, it is what it is. Plus, these guys yeah. are Havoc yeah. again, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Yeah, it shows. <laughs> We have a the British record of the that fall from the height was a 50-foot fall. Wait, which, that was a guy? Yeah. I just assumed it was a really good mannequin or something. Oh, no. That was the same guy who was Liz's stunt double in Ambassadors. Oh, my gosh. Royce Gamel. Okay, that's really impressive feet. then. I just figured they did a really good job on the mannequin. I didn't think that was an actual dude. Kari, please. Mannequins cost money. People are cheap. <laughs> that is true. Did they have a taxi? Standing by. (laughs) (laughs) They had mattresses, cardboard, and foam rubber. Oh my God, please tell me you're kidding. Oh my God. This this sounds less like a professional stunt team and more something I would do with my cousin when we were something very unwise you would do with your cousin. I mean, they're called Havoc, Josh. Oh my God. How was there not like just like a giant pile of 
bodies everywhere this show went. Everyone in the 90s blamed Jackass for the stupid shit kids did. But I think this is evidence that people are just going to do stupid shit. I think that if the guys who made Havoc knew that they could make Jackass, they would Oh my god. (laughs) Okay, but it's time for everyone's favorite game show. How did the BBC try to kill Doctor Who this yeah. week? Da, 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 budget cuts? Is it budget cuts? <laughs> no, this is a more minor thing, but in the middle of as they were getting ready to do the studio shooting, the BBC made a ruling just for Doctor Who, not any other show, that any computers and control panels would now for Doctor Who be called props not scenery and that's important because for bbc accounting there is a much higher tax on props than scenery so the amount that the production had to pay went up by 150 to 200 percent so basically they greatly raised the cost of the show without giving them more money it's admittedly not the flashiest way the bbc has tried to torpedo this show but also when this episode came out the bbc heads were like oh yeah the show's doing good we actually like this we actually like this but kill it with fire yeah it's like When an abusive parent smacks the kid and is then like, so you know, this hurts me more than it hurts you. Why are you making me do this? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. does that play into how we get a new TARDIS console or no like the main reason is because the prop is literally falling apart at this point oh fair enough like it's been used heavily for seven years also something interesting the reason that they avoided having any console room scenes is because they had tried to stop using the console room as much in the second doctor's era because it was too much to set up it was a whole nother huge set. And again, all of the editing is like in camera. So like they would build the set and then have to take it down to go to the next set. They had more breaks now, but yeah, still. Given that, let's all go to the objective, fact-driven, totally non-influenced part of the show. The the scoring system where we measure things by one to four Daleks because... I don't know why why I said we do this, but we do this now. It is part of the show. Does anyone want to go first? I will. Okay. Four Daleks. I liked it a lot. There was a lot there. Very meaty. There wasn't much faff running around junk. I liked the characters a lot. Everybody was pretty good in it. It took some unexpected directions. I was not expecting an evil universe version from this. I was definitely not expecting green Turkish werewolves. So... <laughs> Uh, four Daleks for me. All right, I'll go next. I also give it four Daleks. I considered giving it like only about three Daleks before because the werewolves I did remember being an odd fit, but it's like somehow I feel like if you took the werewolves out, it wouldn't be as much fun to watch. It's it's one of those things where remove any element and I feel like it wouldn't be as it is. For me, a four Dalek episode is any episode that I can't imagine being better made than it was given what they had it's delightful Um, yeah i realize i didn't talk about one thing that is going to kind of affect my school they didn't have a composer for this serial they just used stock music and some of the tracks worked and some of them didn't other than that i do like mostly everything so i'm gonna go um three and three quarters dialects yeah that's pretty good just knock it for some of the uh 
stock music that they ended up using. Some of it is really good. Some of it, though, is very stock. I Fair. can't remember any of the tracks in this, so that... Same. Some of it was done by the same uh, Lady Delia Derbyshire who did arrange the main intro theme for Doctor Who. Nice. So. Huh. So that's neat. Justin. Uh, I'll say I'll say four dollars. Okay. It was a good story. It was ambitious, but they actually pulled it off, I think. Because there was a lot there. A lot. Yeah. And a lot and a lot of Doctor Who stories they just would have taken like like they would have just did the alternate universe thing or the Turkish werewolf drill, you know, earth penetration plotline and, and fluff those both up as they needed. Oh god, fluff. But they actually combined them pretty well. What choice? You you're saying that like I didn't do it on purpose. <laughs> But yeah, I, I think they they did a good job balancing both of those major themes into one instead of you know doing two and then adding a bunch of filler. They sought a mat to penetrate this hard subject and they no. did it. And now no. you're just trying too hard. Okay, yeah. right. You're right. I'm pushing it. All right. So that was Inferno. Gets the Daleks aren't robots seal of approval, which I've now decided is a thing. (laughs) If you liked this episode, please like, share, comment, subscribe. Check us out on Buzzsprout and Spotify, iTunes, anywhere you can find podcasts. We're probably there. Check out our Facebook. Check out our Twitter. Check out our website. All links are down below. There's cool stuff there that you can't just get from the podcast. And yeah. So next time we'll be jumping back to the first Doctor era and we're going to be doing as they do because we'll be seeing the Romans. Hey. Oh God, I'm going to have an aneurysm, aren't I? Probably. Yeah. I'm kind of a Rome nerd. Oh dear. Until next time, remember, feed your TARDIS. And for the love of God, if you see green slime oozing out of a hot container, don't grab it with your bare hands. Just rub it all on your face. Really yeah, that's <laughs> definitely the I mean, best idea. Don't you want to be a radioactive Turkish werewolf? I can't think of why somebody would not. No, I can't. <laughs>